The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke 6, 12 through 16. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I want to add my voice to the thanksgiving to you for the gift of my mother and our mothers and the grace that you've given us through them. And I do want to pray for your comfort, for the losses associated. In my case, my mother has passed away, and that's a loss, and pray for your comfort for those like me, and uh, pray for your comfort for others this day as well. Seems maybe the, the tie-in to Mother's Day and the dedication of children to this text might be in, in this, that these apostles of yours, 11 of them, surrendered all worldly claims upon their lives. They considered all things lost according to the surpassing greatness of knowing you, Lord Jesus. So draw us in. Feed our faith. And may we be faithful disciples, full of your grace and power to spread the gospel in the name of Jesus in our day. In Jesus' name, amen. My aim this morning, I mean, I looked at this text and I thought, my goodness, what is, first I thought, what's there in there to preach from? And then I thought, my goodness, there's all kinds of things in here to talk about. And uh, I'm going to narrow down my aim to two. My aim is twofold. Number one, Thanks and praise, number two, aspiration and inspiration. So first off, my aim is that you and I might thank God for the the truth of the gospel that has been preserved and passed down through the witness and testimony of the apostles. I mean, they are called the foundation of the church for a good reason. We, We believe now in Jesus because of their labors by the grace of God. So thanksgiving and praise. And then number two, aspiration and inspiration. My aim is that we might be inspired to follow them as they followed after Christ. So, I mean, there's a lot of ways I could build on that, but I mean, Jesus says to all the disciples, take up your cross daily. Follow me. 
And I see in these men that they did that and their lives are an inspiration to us, heroes of the faith. So those are my aims. I'll give you my outline. It's, it's really a crazy outline. So first three questions, three introductory questions about this appointment of the 12, and then we'll review the 12. So if you're taking notes, <laughs> there's 12 of them. <laughs> and then I just want to close with two stories. So here we go. Uh, three introductory questions. What's the occasion for this appointment of the 12? Well, the occasion is the expanding ministry of Jesus and the rising opposition to Jesus. This is likely in the first year of Jesus' public ministry and the, clouds, the crowds are increasingly flocking to him. And as we've seen already in Luke, the opposition from the Jewish leaders is increasing and there's beginning to be secret plots to murder Jesus. That's the occasion. Number two, question number two, what's the manner of this appointment? And uh, Luke alone in his gospel makes sure that we understand that Jesus prayed all night before he made these appointments. That's a Lukean thing, that the big decisions of Jesus, the big decisions in the early church are preceded by prayer. And Luke just, the other, the other gospel writers didn't mention that, but Luke does, verse 12, in these days he went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to God. So there's the manner of the appointment. Jesus prayed all night and then he called the disciples, the crowd of disciples to himself and he appointed 12 of them as apostles. And then third question, what's the distinction between disciples and apostles? Just a brief word on that. that. That a teacher or rabbi would have disciples was commonplace in the New Testament time. Uh, John the Baptist had disciples. The Pharisees had disciples. Jesus had many disciples. And in Luke, we've already seen him sovereignly calling men to be his disciples. We saw, I mean, most recently, was it not... Levi, Matthew. And these disciples committed themselves to their teacher and his teachings and his manner of life and living out his teachings. And so it was very holistic. It was experiential and intellectual and practical learning. In fact, if you think of the word disciple, you might think, well, that's a word we don't use today. What's another word? You could say student, but that doesn't quite get it. Learner, that doesn't quite get it, especially with Jesus, but wholehearted, whole person, body, soul, and spirit, learning, attaching oneself to Jesus as Lord and Savior and God. Now, apostles, this occasion, Jesus chooses from among the disciples, these 12 apostles. The word means sent ones, sent ones. And Mark's gospel uses the verbal form of the word, which helps us see what it looks like. 
Mark 3.14 says, Jesus appointed the twelve, whom he also named apostles, there's the noun, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. Sending them out to preach would be the verbal action associated with the apostles. But Mark's description is helpful. These apostles were appointed to be with Jesus, so they knew Jesus more. They received more of his teaching. They saw more of his miracles. They knew more of his persecutions and more of his sufferings, and they saw and spoke with Jesus after he rose from the dead. And then he sent them out to preach as his authorized representatives or ambassadors or emissaries. In Luke 10, Jesus said to them, The one who hears you, hears me. The one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. These are his apostles, his authorized spokesmen that he sent out to represent him. Well, who are the twelve? Who are the 12? Can you, can you name the 12 apostles? You don't have to try because I'm going to name them for you. <laughs> They're listed four times in the New Testament. Three in the Gospels, one in Acts. And every list begins with, for, with Simon Peter. And every list ends with Judas. There's a little movement in each of the lists, but... What I I want to do is walk through Luke's list here and just think about it together. Number one, Simon Peter, and I'm going to do his brother Andrew at the same time. Number one and number two, Simon Peter and Andrew. Uh, Simon Peter was introduced to Jesus by his brother Andrew, which is one of the reasons Andrew has this reputation of bringing people to Jesus. Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist, and, and when he saw Jesus, when, and, and John the Baptist identified Jesus as the Lamb of God who, who would come to take away the sins of the world, and the promised one, Andrew ceased being a disciple of John the Baptist and became a disciple of Jesus. And you know, the first thing he did is he, he went to his brother Simon and said, uh, here's the text, uh, John 1, 40. Uh, He went and found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. And so both Simon and Andrew become disciples of Jesus. Simon Peter is mentioned in the New Testament more than any of the other apostles. And we kind of feel like we know him probably better than the other apostles. Apostles, because of this. You know, Simon is quick to speak, quick to act. It was he who wanted to jump out of the boat, did jump out of the boat to meet Jesus walking on the water, and he did. And when he began to doubt, he began to sink. It was Peter who professed to Jesus, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, And for that, at that moment, Jesus gave him a new name. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And 
And Jesus went on to say that the Son of Man must suffer. And Peter said, no, that is never going to happen. You are never going to be hurt. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. This is Peter. It was Peter who, when Jesus was about to be arrested, swung the sword and lopped off the ear of the, one of the arresting officials, which Jesus healed, put it back on. And it was Peter who, after Jesus was arrested, denied Jesus three times. And Jesus later restored Peter with three questions. It was Peter who was the first apostle to see the risen Christ. I mean, the book of Acts records the, the consistent uh, early leadership of Peter in the Jerusalem church at Pentecost, and, and uh, we owe a lot to Peter. There's early historical testimony that under the reign of the Roman Emperor Nero, Peter was arrested, imprisoned, and martyred in Rome. And tradition says that at Peter's own request, he asked to be crucified upside down because he was not worthy to be crucified in the same manner that Jesus was murdered. According to tradition, you know now, I have to say, I'm using this word tradition very carefully because I'm trying to name the traditions that are more solid and seem like they have more historical substance to them. And I'm not naming, I won't say anything about a tradition that doesn't seem as solid. Okay, I just want you to know that this is a very intentional word. According to tradition, it's not biblical truth, it's church history. Andrew spread the gospel and planted churches throughout Asia Minor and around the Black Sea and tradition says that Andrew died in Achaia being crucified on an X-shaped cross that has henceforth become known as St. Andrew's cross. That's number one and number two. Number three and number four, James and John. I'm going to keep the brothers together again because their stories overlap so much. James and John were sons of Zebedee and Salome. They too were Galilean fishermen like Andrew and Simon. James and John, along with Peter, are often mentioned as these three disciples that Jesus takes into his, his, into his inner circle. And he has more of these key moments of his life with Peter, John, and James, such as the transfiguration. Jesus gave the brothers, James and John, the nickname Sons of Thunder. And there's some, some uh, conjecture or wondering if that came from the fact that, that John and James, after the disciples were rejected in a, by the Samaritans in a village on the way to Jerusalem, John and James said to Jesus, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? And Jesus rebuked them and they went on their way. And perhaps 
I mean, if you look in the New Testament, that would be the only reason we could find that Jesus calls them sons of thunder because they were calling for thunder to come down on the Samaritan town that rejected them. James and John. It was the mother of Jesus who came to Jesus, remember? She knelt before him and asked Jesus to promise that her sons would be beside him on his throne, one on the right and one on the left. Remember this? She said, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. And Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you're asking. And he said to John and James, Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? Suffering. Death. And they said to him, We are. And Jesus said to them, You will. You will drink the cup. You will drink my cup and sit it. But to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared by my Father. And then he proceeded to teach John and James and their mother about the upside-down nature of greatness and leadership in the kingdom. He said, Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what greatness looks like in the kingdom. James, either due to his height or because he was older, is sometimes called James the Greater to distinguish him from the other James that's an apostle. And we know this from the book of Acts that in the early days of the church, James was a leader in the Jerusalem church and he became the first of the apostles who was martyred. Acts 12, 1 and 2. Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. He beheaded him. And John, I mean, John is so deeply aware of the love of Christ for him that when he refers to himself in the Gospel of John, you know how he does this? The disciple that Jesus loved. That's how we call it, that's how he speaks of himself. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. And remember, it was John who was present at the crucifixion of Jesus, standing nearby Jesus' mother, Mary. And remember Jesus' words to Mary and to John. Jesus being crucified now looks out for the care of his mother after his death. Woman, behold your son. Looking at John, and then looking at John, he says, behold your mother. 
And the text in John 19 says, and from that hour, the disciple, John, took her to his own home. John's gospel and his epistles uniquely emphasize the truth of God and the love of God. Just a good inoculation for those who want to pit truth against love and love against truth. His gospel's that way. His epistles are that way. Just calling us to love one another and calling us to the truth over and over again. He is involved in the planting and establishing of churches in his lifetime. And then John is unique among all the apostles, as far as we know, that he lived to an old age. And it was not without persecution as his exile on the island of Patmos attests, but that's where he received the revelation of the last things, the book of Revelation. And so tradition says that the apostle John died of natural causes in the city of Ephesus. Number five, Philip. When Jesus traveled to Bethsaida, another small town on the Sea of Galilee, he called Philip to be a disciple. And this Philip is not to be confused with Philip the evangelist who speaks to the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts. This is a different Philip. Philip was also a disciple of John the Baptist before following Jesus. And, you know, remember Philip. Philip is the one who introduced Nathaniel to Jesus, saying... We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. We'll get to Nathaniel's response in just a second. So, so Philip brings Nathaniel to Jesus, and then it was Philip who also said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to, said to him, Philip, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Philip preached in various places and tradition says he died in the city of Hierapolis in Asia. And some traditions suggest, although it's not clear, that he too died a martyr's death. Number six, Bartholomew, other than being listed among the 12 in all four lists, there's no other mention of Bartholomew in the New Testament. And from this, some have speculated that, you know, since his name is always mentioned after Philip, Philip Bartholomew, Maybe, I mean, since two names were not uncommon, as we know, in New Testament times, maybe Philip, maybe, excuse me, maybe Bartholomew is Nathaniel, the one to whom Philip brought to the Lord. Philip Bartholomew, Philip Nathaniel. Now, I said I was going to get to this. When Philip came to Nathaniel and told him that he had found the Christ Nathaniel, Jesus of Nazareth being the Christ, Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, he's the one who said that. And Philip said, come and see. 
And Philip came. And when, I didn't sit there. And Philip said, come and see. And Nathanael came to Jesus. And when Jesus saw Nathanael coming, remember this? Jesus said, behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit, no guile. And Nathanael said, how in the world do you know me? And Jesus answered, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, seeing Christ knowing him before he even showed up as an evidence of Christ's divinity. Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you were the son of God the king of Israel. Number seven, Matthew, Levi, the tax collector. We spent some time on him a few weeks ago. We know he was much despised as a tax collector. He's maybe more educated than the fishermen, certainly more wealthy. And you have it that Jesus calls Matthew not only as a disciple but as one of the twelve seems to communicate loud and clear that Jesus has come to seek and to save sinners, even those who people view as the worst of the worst of the worst sinners. And Matthew is recognized as the author of the gospel bearing his name. And you probably know this, that the gospel of Matthew has a, has a tilt toward Jewish readers. According to tradition, Matthew spread the gospel toward Ethiopia and Persia, and he too was likely killed for his faith. Number eight, Thomas, also called Didymus, the twin. We don't know who his other twin brother is. As Jesus set his his face to go to Jerusalem, where he would be crucified, Thomas said this, to the other disciples. Let's go with him that we may die with him. Thomas, you know, he's known for after the resurrection, Jesus had appeared to some of the disciples and not yet to Thomas. And when Thomas had been told Jesus had risen, remember Thomas's famous words, unless I see his hands, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and, the, and place my finger into the marks of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. That's not true. That's not Thomas. <laughs> Eight days later, They gathered again, the the disciples, the apostles, and Jesus appeared. The doors were locked. Jesus appears in the room with them, and Jesus said directly to Thomas, Thomas, put your finger here. Jesus, risen from the dead, standing with Thomas and the other disciples and apostles. Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. 
You know what Thomas did? There's no indication he touched Jesus. (laughs) But he said, my Lord and my God. Tradition attests that Thomas traveled to India and was martyred there, being speared to death for his faith. And to this day, many Christians in India acknowledge Thomas's missionary work in planting churches and spreading the gospel as part of their spiritual heritage. Number nine, James, the son of Alphaeus. We know who this James is not. This is not James, the brother of John, nor is this James, the brother of Jesus. James, the brother of Jesus, is most often cited as the one who wrote the epistle of James. But James, the son of Alphaeus. More often than not, biblical scholars identify him in the Gospels with with this one reference. It's at the crucifixion, and it's a description of the women that are at the crucifixion. Mark 15, 40. There were also women looking on from a distance as Jesus was dying. I added that last phrase. Among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the Younger. People say, maybe this James, son of Alphaeus, is James the Younger, the counterpart to James the Greater. (laughs) Other than that, he is listed in every list of the 12, and we don't know anything else about James, son of Alphaeus. Number 10, Simon, who was called the Zealot. I mean, as Matthew was a tax collector before Jesus called him, Simon was a zealot. What's a zealot? The zealots were a Jewish revolutionary movement that developed into a unified nationalistic political party advocating extreme resistance to the Roman occupation of Israel. It's not uncommon, as you read about it from modern scholars, they call the zealots the terrorists. Because they would do such things as randomly stab Romans on the streets of Jerusalem in order to create terror and express their opposition to the Roman occupation. The zealots eventually led a Jewish revolt against Rome in, in AD 67 to AD 70. You know, so here, I, I appreciate this, much like you know, think about where these guys came from. Fishermen are apostles. Matthew, tax collector, is an apostle. I mean, think about this. That Simon, the zealot, is cho- chosen to be one of the 12, along with Matthew, the tax collector? In other words, Hi, I'm Simon. I'm a zealot. I hate Romans. Matthew says, Hi, my name is Matthew. I'm a tax collector. I work for the Romans. I take money from Jews and give it to the Romans. What a match. (laughs) Jesus chooses Simon and Matthew 
attest to the supernatural power of the gospel of Christ to unite Christians as brothers and sisters in the greatest cause in the universe, subjugating every single political and temporal cause on earth and putting those other causes in their proper place. Amen? Number 11, Judas, the son of James. In both the Gospel of Matthew and Mark, Rather than calling him Judas, as Luke does, the gospel writers prefer the name Thaddeus. Thaddeus. And again, it was not uncommon for two names to be in play for different individuals. And perhaps the thought is Matthew and Mark used the name Thaddeus or preferred the name Thaddeus to make a clear distinction between this Judas, the son of James, and the other Judas. Number 12, Judas Iscariot. Luke 6, 16, Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Iscariot, likely referring to the place from which he came, the Judean town, Cariath. Judas oversaw the money for Jesus and the disciples, and yet it eventually became known that, quote, He was a thief, and having charge of the money bag, he used it. He used to help himself to what was put into it, John 12, 6. And as you know, he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And by his kiss upon greeting Jesus, he set in motion Christ's arrest, subsequent trials and floggings and mockings and crucifixion. And death. Filled with remorse, Judas returned the silver to the Pharisees and hung himself. He was replaced in Acts by Matthias. So, Judas, I mean, just think of it Jesus prays all night appoints 12 apostles. And Jesus appointed Judas as an apostle according to the wisdom and sovereign plan and foreknowledge of God that Judas would be a co-conspirator with the evil men who unjustly crucified Jesus according to the sovereign plan of God, plan of salvation. So there's our survey. As I said, number one, may we thank and praise God for the lives of these men and for all that we owe them in receiving the the apostolic teaching, the gospel. That's ours. We stand on it. Like the early church, we're devoted to, we, we have devoted ourselves to the apostles' teaching. And I just want us to be thankful for the lives of these 11 faithful men. And second, be inspired. You know, Hebrews 11, excuse me, Hebrews 13 says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So I say, 
What would imitating the faith of the apostles look like for each one of us? I mean, and you don't need to get hung up on the, the apostle part of it. I mean, they're disciples, and so are we. What would it look like? I'm going to give you two, two snapshots, both of which I came across this week, and both of which I thought, I'm, I'm pulling those in as pictures to stir up the inspiration to follow Jesus like the apostles, surrendering all worldly claims upon our lives. The first was, was in the podcast, The World and Everything in It. I don't know if you listened to that podcast, but there was a featured story last Wednesday on the family of Peter and Katie Sargent. Give you the story. Four years ago, they had been married just eight years, and they had two daughters, and uh, Katie was pregnant with a third. They had recently purchased a home and a second car, and their family was growing, and it kind of looked like the American thing. And as Christians who cared about the glory of God and the lost world, and stirred up by their small group, they began praying each night with their children for the unreached places of the world, countries. Now, quoting from the podcast transcript, the narrator says, They started with Afghanistan, but they didn't make it much farther. That is because their four-year-old daughter, Faith, kept requesting prayers for the second country on the list. Now, Katie Sargent says, And it was really funny because for a long time she couldn't even really say Albania. She would say, I want to pray for, what's that country called again? Yeah, let's pray for Alabama. And, and she would say, and we would say, Albania? And she'd say, yeah, Albania. So that's the four-year-old. And to make a long story short, you can listen to it on the, on the World and Everything in It website. That little girl's prayer burden for Albania was a means that Christ used to send the Sargent family to Albania in July of 2021, where both parents teach in a school with a mix of Albanian children and missionary children and share the gospel with their friends and family and, and, uh, and uh, neighbors in that unreached, predominantly Muslim country. Illustration number one. Maybe it looks like that inspiration, calling, imitate your leaders. Here's another one. Very sobering. This one comes from Voice of the Martyrs this week. Abdullahi Ahmed grew up in Somalia where cultural Islam is integrated with nationalism and of this he, he said, and we've heard this here, to be Somali means to be Muslim. When he was in college, he began reading the Bible in earnest, and he soon came to love and trust not only the Bible, but Jesus Christ. And when it had become known that he'd become a Christian, his fellow students and teachers considered him dangerous. And of this time, he says, quote, I was beaten up. All sorts of bad things were done to me. 
my life was in danger. And with the counsel of another Somali Christian, he went to serve in a campus ministry center where he met his wife, Helen, who was from Nigeria. And she says of their meeting, when I first met Abduwali, he told me, I love the Lord and I'm ready to die for Christ. Sounds like Thomas. And they married and they had three children. And together they labored to serve the Somali people through an agricultural development ministry and through boldly spreading the gospel of Christ. Helen spoke of the peace God gave them even when they received mistreatment and threats. She said, quote, when we received death threats, we'd pray together and that would give us peace because God said he would be with us. In northern Kenya, at noon on February 7th, 2013, 20 years after Abduwali placed his faith in Christ, three assassins shot him to death as he talked with a pastor in the center of the town he was in. And despite the great loss and sadness, Helen said this. She knew that God would use her husband's martyrdom to advance the kingdom. Here's the quote. We have a triumphant God. We know God is going to triumph in this situation. You can see the video story or the transcript on the persecution.com website, Voice of the Martyrs, because Abdullahi Ahmed is, has been named uh, the, the inductee of the 2023 Christian Day of the Martyrs. Let's pray. Jesus, you said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And you said, whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And you said, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Father, thank you for the lives of the apostles and grant that we might imitate their faith as they've gone before us as disciples of yours. We pray likewise to be faithful in taking up our cross daily and in following you. All for the glory of your name and for our eternal joy, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, 
spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.